But that never fooled Penelope's mother or her fellow wives at the golf club, her worst nightmare being that her daughter would produce an all-black grandchild on her watch. A word here regarding my dear late father's life struggle will not be deemed out of place. His entry into the world, he confided to me, had been no smoother than my own. Born in 1917 to a corporal in the Royal Ulster Fusiliers and a 14-year-old Normandy peasant girl who happened to be passing at the time, he spent his childhood on the shunt between a hovel in the Sperrin Mountains and another in northern France, until by dint of study plus his inherited bilinguality he clawed himself a place in a junior seminary in the wilds of County Donegal and thus set his young feet unthinkingly on the path to God. Sent to France for the greater refinement of his faith, he endured without complaint interminable years of gruelling instruction in Catholic theology, but as soon as the Second World War broke out, he grabbed the nearest bicycle, which, with Irish wit, he assured me was the property of a godless Protestant, and pedalled hell for leather across the Pyrenees to Lisbon. Stowing away on a tramper bound for Leopoldville, as was, he evaded the attentions of a colonial government ill-disposed towards stray white missionaries and attached himself to a remote community of friars dedicated to bringing the one true faith to the two hundred-odd tribes of the eastern Congo. Aided by native converts whose tongues the natural linguist swiftly made his own, he baked bricks and limed them with red mud trodden by his own feet, dug ditches in the hillside and installed latrines amid the banana groves. Next came the building, first the church, then the school with its twin bell tower, then the Mother Mary clinic, then the fish ponds and fruit and vegetable plantations to supply them. After all this came the mission house itself, and behind the mission house a low brick hostel with small windows high up for mission servants. In God's name he trekked hundreds of kilometres to remote Patana and mining settlements never failing when opportunity arose to add another language to his ever-growing collection, until a day when he returned to his mission to find his fellow priests fled. The cows, goats and chickens stolen, the school and mission house raised, the hospital pillaged, its nurses hamstrung, raped and slaughtered, and himself a prisoner of the last ragtag elements of the fearsome Simba, a murderous rabble of misguided revolutionists whose sole aim until their official extinction a few years previously had been to visit death and mayhem on all perceived agents of colonization, whipped repeatedly in order to expose the true color of his devil's skin, tortured and forced to witness the torturing of others, he proclaimed the gospel and begged God's forgiveness for his tormentors. Whenever able, he went among his fellow prisoners administering the sacrament, Yet not the Holy Church in all its wisdom could have been prepared for the cumulative effect on him of these privations. Mortification of the flesh, we are taught, furthers the triumph of the spirit. Such, however, was not the case for my dear late father, who within months of his release had demonstrated the flaw in this convenient theory, and not merely with my dear late mother. Her reward for producing me was as cruel as it was unjust. At my father's urging, she set off for her home village with the intention of giving birth to me among her clan and tribe. But these were turbulent times for the Congo, or, as General Mobutu insisted it be known, Zaire. 
In the name of authenticity, foreign priests had been expelled for the crime of baptizing babies with Western names. Schools had been forbidden to teach the life of Jesus, and Christmas declared a normal working day. It was therefore not surprising that the elders of my mother's village balked at the prospect of nurturing a white missionary's love child whose presence among them could invite instant retribution, and accordingly sent the problem back to where it came from. But the mission fathers were as reluctant as the village elders to receive us, referring my mother instead to a distant convent where she arrived with only hours to spare before my birth. Three months of tough love at the hands of the Carmelites were more than enough for her. Reasoning that they were better placed than she to provide me with a future, she consigned me to their mercy, and escaping at dead of night by way of the bathhouse roof, crept back to her kin and family. The retribution meted out to my father by the Holy Church was less draconian than my mother's, but severe. One year in a Jesuit rehab penitentiary outside Madrid, two more as a worker priest in a Marseille slum, and only then back to the Congo he so unwisely loved. And how he swung it, I don't know. And probably God doesn't either. But somewhere along his stony path, he persuaded the Catholic orphanage that had custody of me to give me up to him. Thereafter, the half-caste bastard who was Salvo trailed after him in the care of servants chosen for their age and ugliness, first in the guise of offspring of a deceased uncle, later as acolyte and server, until that fateful night of my tenth birthday when, conscious as much of his mortality as my ripening, he poured out his very human heart to me as described above, which I regarded...